Welcome to Counterthought, a podcast conserving America's freedom, culture, and values. This is Brian Kletter, the creator and host of the podcast. You can engage with the podcast on Instagram at counter underscore thought or at Counterthought CEO and on our Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast. For audio versions of the podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And for video versions of the podcast, join us on YouTube at the Counterthought channel. Let's go. President Biden recently signed a gun control citizen protection law. It even had some Republican support. However, those Republicans have not been treated too kindly by members of their party. Hello and welcome to another episode of Counterthought. Over the weekend on Saturday, President Biden signed a bipartisan bill into law that now provides incentives and financing for states to create their own red flag laws. This obviously comes on the heels and is a reaction to the Uvalde school shooting, which as more details about that come out, it just becomes more and more horrible to process and just the the sheer evil and the sheer failure by law enforcement. But this bipartisan bill, which I believe had about 10 to 15 Republicans from the Senate and also from the House of Representatives get on board, was signed into law on Saturday by Joe Biden. And the biggest piece of this, the most notoriety that this is getting, is because of the red flag laws. Red flag laws are also known as gun violence restraining orders or risk protection orders. That's what they're called here in the state of Florida. And what a red flag red flag law is, is it is a gun control law permitting the police or an individual like a family member to petition to a state court to order temporary removal of firearms from a person who may present a danger to someone else or to themselves. And what this law does is it grants money to states to help them implement red flag laws. Also, the red flag laws must meet certain due process requirements in order to receive this funding. I believe it's about $750 million has been set aside to go to the states who create their own red flag laws and again, meet these certain due process requirements. Right now, 19 states currently have red flag laws, plus D.C., Florida being one of them where I am here in Orlando. And I'll dive into the Florida law here in a little bit because, to me, Florida has one of the most comprehensive red flag laws or risk protection orders, RPO as it's called, in the entire country. Florida was not the first. Indiana was the first. But to me, Florida has one of the most comprehensive, and that's the one I am the most familiar with because I reside in Florida. One of the other things that the law that was signed in one that the bill was signed into law on Saturday, one of the other things it does is it also opens the door to be able to look into juvenile records for kids who are under the age of 21 that want to to purchase a firearm. Again, this comes on the heels of the Uvalde shooting where there were so many red flags with the shooter, so many red flags. And if they could have looked back into his history, 
you could even go all the way to Parkland or other shootings and the most recent, another recent shooting in, in Buffalo and maybe looked into their juvenile records if they did have one, you know, and, and pick up on some maybe mental health issues that was going on there or other tendencies, other problems that may have arised while they were under the age of 18. That is also included in this bill now law that was signed on, on Saturday. But I want to take a few, few minutes here to just go over the the Florida statute, the risk protection order. I'm going to pop up a couple of slides here on the screen to help you follow along because there are a few key key points, key language from, from the statute that I want to call out and, and really focus on. So in Florida, the Florida statute is chapter 790, section 401. And this was established after the Parkland shooting, which happened in 2018. And this law was um, signed or this bill was signed into law in the state of Florida and then enacted in 2019. And to me, like I said, it is one of the most, if not the most comprehensive red flag law in the country. And because I'm in Florida, this is the one I am most familiar with and, and paying the most attention to. But here are some, some key elements. A petition for a risk protection order may be filed by a law enforcement officer or law enforcement agency. Notwithstanding any other law, attorney fees may not be awarded in any proceeding under this section. That's one of the things I've received pushback because I've voiced my opinion on social media that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm in favor of a red flag law if they're doing it correctly, if they are meeting the, if it meets the legal muster, you know, in the constitutionality. I'm for red flag law, and that's what this whole episode is about. But one of the things that has come up is, oh, well, this is just going to, you know, be abused and run people dry, you know, legally and everything there. Not everyone can afford an attorney. And then when you have to do the hearing and the, all the fees and so on and so forth, that's why I included that in here. It also goes on to specify what a petition must include. And a petition must include, it must first Allege that the respondent poses a significant danger of causing personal injury to himself or herself or others by having a firearm or any ammunition in his or her custody or control or by purchase. And the respondent is the individual who's being, who has the petition filed against them. And the petitioner is the person who believes that that respondent, that individual is either a potential harm to themselves or, or to others. It continues and says control or by purchasing, possessing or receiving a firearm or any ammunition and must be accompanied by an affidavit made under oath stating the specific statements, actions, or facts that give rise to a reasonable fear of significant dangerous acts by the respondent. The petition must also Identify the quantities, the types, the locations of all firearms and ammunition of the petitioner that they believe in the respondent's current ownership, possession, custody, or control. And the petitioner, again, the, the one filing this, must make a good faith effort to provide notice to a family or household member of the respondent and to any known third party who may be at risk of violence. That is key. The notice must state that the petitioner intends to petition to the court for a risk protection order 
or has already done so, and it must include referrals to appropriate resources for mental health, domestic violence, and counseling. The petitioner must also attest in the petition to having provided such notice or must attest to the steps that will be taken to provide such notice to the respondent, to the person who is seen as a danger to themselves or to other people. Now, the issuance of the risk protection order and its hearings, I'm going to go into a couple details about that here as well. So upon receipt of a petition, the court must order a hearing to be held no later than 14 days after the date of the order. And it must issue a notice of the hearing to the respondent for the same. The court may issue a temporary ex parte risk protection order pending the hearing ordered and such temporary ex parte orders must be served concurrently with the notice to the respondent of the hearing and the petition. Now this, this temporary ex parte risk protection order, now this is the one component of the Florida risk protection order, the Florida red flag law that I am not like 100% sold on because this is the only piece of the order that actually includes the seizing of firearms and ammunition at the same time as being issued this order. And as we'll get to in a few minutes here within the details of, of the Florida statute, a regular risk protection order, a regular RPO, like I just read, you have to have a hearing within 14 days after giving notice to the respondent, after giving notice to the person who is going to, or who is considered a potential harm or danger to themselves or to others. But the ex parte allows you to take the firearms and ammunition simultaneously and not giving a 14 day window for that hearing. So this is like the only component, the only piece of the Florida statute the red flag law that I have a little bit of an issue with just because it, it finally walks along that line of due process, which I'll, I'll get to here in a couple minutes. But the order goes on to say upon notice and a hearing on the matter, if the court finds by clear and convincing evidence that the respondent poses a significant danger of causing personal injury to himself or herself or to others, the court must issue a risk protection order for a period that it deems is appropriate up to and including, but not exceeding 12 months. So no longer than a year. And then in determining whether the grounds for a risk protection order exists, the court may consider any relevant evidence, including, but not limited to, and, and it goes on. Now, if you follow me on social media, especially if you follow me on TikTok, I did a, a TikTok stitch where I responded to a video that included Tucker Carlson and he was going on a couple of weeks ago, you know, to me, misleading his, his viewers, making it seem like as if any piece of evidence regarding anything can just be presented in, in one of these hearings. And that's not the case as I just read there. The term relevant evidence actually has a definition. It is, it is a legal term. It is evidence that is relative to a material fact and the material fact would be um, the petitioner, the law enforcement agency trying to prove, trying to prove that the respondent is actually a danger to themselves or to someone else. You know, you can't just pick any random piece of evidence, to try to make that case that has nothing to do 
with the hearing, with the case at hand. So again, Tucker Carlson a couple of weeks ago was guilty, in my opinion, of trying to mislead his audience, his like 5 million viewers per night, because he just made it seem as if you can pick any kind of evidence out of the sky and, and apply it to this and that that would lead to um, or make it more likely. You know, he was insinuating that this would just be abused, this this risk protection order, these red flag laws. This is, would be an example of of abuse of the law if you can just pull relevant evidence out of anywhere. But it goes on and says that in determining whether the grounds for risk protection order exist, the evidence that may be considered includes a recent act or threat of violence by the respondent against themselves or a threat or violence towards someone else involving a firearm, an act or threat of violence by the respondent within the past 12 months, evidence of the respondent being seriously mentally ill or having recurring mental health issues, a violation of the respondent of an existing risk protection order, a previous or existing risk protection order, violation of an order, um, whether the respondent in this state or another state has been convicted of or pled no contest to a crime that constitutes domestic violence, according to a Florida statute, whether that respondent has used or has threatened to use against himself or herself or others any type of weapons, an unlawful or reckless use, display, or brandishing of a firearm by the respondent. The respondent in in this state or any other state, again, being the state of Florida or another state, has been arrested or convicted of or pled no contest to a crime involving violence or a threat of violence, uh, corroborated evidence of the abuse of controlled substances or alcohol, evidence of frequent acquisitions by firearm of firearms and ammunition, relevant inf- information from a family or household member concerning the respondent, and witness testimony taken while the witness is under oath relating to the matter before the court. And if the court then decides to issue a risk protection order, the court must then inform the respondent that he or she is entitled to request a hearing to vacate the order. And then the statute goes on in in detail about the timeline that that must take place and, and everything else. Now, jumping back to the temporary ex parte risk protection order. Again, this is the only piece of the Florida statute that I that I kind of have a problem with. Um, Because again, this is where an order can be issued. And then before notifying the respondent that, hey, a risk protection order has been issued against you. And then, you know, the weapons being seized, if you if you lose your, your hearing, in this ex parte case, they are able to tell you, hey, this has been brought against you. And at the same time, thank you for your weapons. So, But here's a little more detail about this temporary ex parte risk protection order. The petitioner, again, the law enforcement agency or the person who brings it to the law enforcement agency, and then the law enforcement agency becomes the petitioner on behalf of that individual. They may request that a temporary risk protection order be issued before a hearing for a risk protection order. Again, the standard is that request a risk protection order. The judge decides if one should be um, issued, then there's notice, and then there's a hearing, and then ultimately decided whether or not 
you know, the risk protection order is going to be issued and you have to surrender your firearms and ammunition. But in this case, it's simultaneous. Uh, without notice to the respondent and including in the petition detailed allegations based on the personal knowledge, the respondent poses a significant danger causing personal injury to themselves or others. The court must hold a temporary ex parte risk protection order hearing in person or by phone if there's like some type of, of disability to where that person couldn't come to, to a court courtroom. Termination and extension of orders. So again, in Florida, this a risk protection order cannot be cannot last longer than 12 months. But when that 12 months ends, if it goes for 12 months, if it was less, maybe it was 90 days, maybe it was 30 days, maybe it was 60 days or six months, there is the termination of that order. And then there can also be extensions of the order. The respondent may submit a one written request for a hearing to vacate a risk protection order starting after the date that the order was issued and may request another hearing after every extension of the order. And that hearing must occur no sooner than 14 days and no later than 30 days after that date of service of the request upon the petitioner. Then if the court finds after the hearing that the respondent has met his or her burden of proof, the court may vacate the order. And this, again, was one of the things that I received pushback on, and I'm going to get into the arguments for and against these risk protection orders, these red flag laws here in a couple of minutes. But one of the things real quickly that was raised to me was, oh, well, you know, even if you can put, I don't want to use the term petition because I want to confuse anyone, but even if, if you can uh, get your risk protection order overturned, what's the likelihood that the courts, the government is going to give you your firearms and ammunition back in any kind of time, you know, and I think they referenced some cases maybe out in California, which again, I'm talking specifically to Florida here. And I don't think California's really seems to be written as well as Florida's red flag law. But that was one of the things brought up to me. was like, well, you know, they could just kind of sit on it and say, yeah, we'll give you your your guns and ammunition back, but, you know, just slow walk it and maybe never even give it to you or just drag you through the legal process. Uh, for an extension upon receipt of the motion to extend, the court shall order that another hearing be held, you know, again, with the 14 day, 14 day timeline. And the court may extend a risk protection order for a period that it deems appropriate up to and including, but not exceeding again, just like the initial order, not exceeding 12 months. Now, the surrendering of the firearms and ammunition, and now this is where basically red flag laws, this is this is what it all comes down to. Everyone who is a, um, a believer of the Second Amendment, I am a believer of the Second Amendment, which, which is why, you know, this is so strange, I guess, for, for a Republican, a supporter of the Second Amendment to also be supporting red flag laws, but this is what it all, all comes down to is the surrendering of your firearm and ammunition because the second amendment says, you know, you have the right to keep and bear arms and that that right shall not be infringed upon by the government. So what it says is that a law enforcement officer, again, this is for Florida, a law enforcement officer serving a risk protection order, including a temporary ex parte risk protection order shall request that the respondent, the person who is a danger to themselves or other people, 
immediately surrenders all firearms and ammunition owned by the respondent in his or her custody, control, possession, and any license to carry a concealed weapon or firearm that has been issued under Florida statute, blah, blah, blah. A receipt of all firearms and ammunition surrendered must be provided to the respondent within 72 hours of the surrender, and a copy of the receipt must be held by the law enforcement agency. Now, this is to keep record of what has been handed over, so then when the risk protection order um, expires or is terminated, again, if it's like appealed, then there is a record of what exactly was handed over and then what needs to be returned to the respondent. Now, that was a lot, right? That was really getting into the weeds there of the, the Florida statute, the Florida RPO, Risk Protection Order. But now I want to look r- real quickly at some statistics regarding red flag laws since they've really come about over the last um, four, five, six years. So I've already mentioned that there are 19 states and Washington, D.C. that currently have red flag laws. They have been used thousands of times. In Florida, they've been used between 6,000 to 8,000 times since being enacted at the start of 2019, which is coming up now on, on three and a half years ago. You know, so whatever the math on that is, that's about 2,000 times per year in the state of Florida. And the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, says that mass shooters, that gets all the publicity, right? All the stories, the the heinous, the heinous act of a mass shooting, especially when it's a school shooting that really, that really catches the attention of the American people, really starts want people, wanting people to take steps to, to curb that kind of violence. The DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, says that 75% of the time, the person who commits the, sh- the mass shooting, the shooter, has told someone else that they're going to do it. So, right, then, then the argument for a red flag law is, hey, if they're telling someone 75% of the time, think of the number of lives that we can save because we can then intervene, law enforcement can then intervene and seize the firearms. And then like in the state of Florida, it talks about, you know, also talking about the different counseling options and you can have a mental health screening and so on and so forth that is available to the respondents, to these individuals who are at risk of harming themselves, which suicide is more than 50% of all gun deaths or to others, which includes the other approximately 50% of all gun deaths of the murders. So the DHS says that a mass shooter tells someone else about 75% of the time. Now, there are multiple arguments against these red flag laws. I, as a conservative Republican, you know, got, I don't want to say attack, that's too harsh of a word, but, you know, (laughs) I had my fair share of pushback on the different social media sites whenever I said, hey, you know, I'm not against a risk protection order. And then when I see, think about 10 senators and about 15 Republican representatives also were in favor of these red flag laws and the recent bill that is now signed into law by Biden that I mentioned at the top of this episode, you know, I like I'm on their team, right? So if I was part of the GOP, I'm going to be primary basically is what a lot of these um, Republican right-wing pundits are saying, which is the same kind of mentality and argument that they were making for those Republicans that went along with the infrastructure bill that was passed 
last year um, under this Biden administration and this current uh, current Congress. But some of the arguments against these red flag laws are the Second Amendment, right? I mentioned that the right to keep and bear arms and how that right shall not be infringed. The right to privacy, which goes to the Fourth Amendment, which says that the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things. So you can't just show up as a law enforcement agency and say, without a warrant and say, hey, I'm going to come into your house and, oh, look at this, firearm, ammunition, thank you, you know. So do um, Second Amendment, Fourth Amendment, right? The right to keep and bear arms and then the right to privacy. And then there's also the due process, which is in the Fifth Amendment at the federal level. And then the 14th Amendment at the state level. Due process says that you should not be able to seize anyone's guns or firearms and ammunition without a hearing. Well, in the state of Florida, as I just detailed for you, a hearing is part of the process before there's any seizure, except in that temporary ex parte, which is like the instant, the instant, um, instantaneous risk protection order in Florida that allows you to seize upon notice of the order before a hearing is held. So you can argue that that violates due process. And I think you'd have a good, a good argument there. And then another argument against red flag laws is unalienable rights. We are given three of them right within our constitution. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that are that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So you have a God-given right to protect your life. And then one other one that I received as a pushback against red flag laws is, well, if someone doesn't have a gun or a firearm or you know they could use anything else to be a weapon, are you going to just go ahead and seize all of those items too? Well, a breakdown of gun deaths or homicides by weapon, 79% of all U.S. murders in 2020, which was 19,000 out of about 24,000 murders, involved a firearm. 79%. That is the highest percentage since 1968. However, if the person being reported using a red flag law doesn't own a firearm, then maybe Maybe, and this could be a d discussion later on, maybe, depending on the severity of the threat, you could seize knives within the home because knives are the second most used weapon in all homicides, in all murders. It's firearms first, and there's about three different categories of, of firearms that make up that total, and then knives are second. Now, my counter arguments for those arguments against my arguments for red flag laws is that at least in the case of Florida and, and like this law that is now in place that was signed over this weekend, the incentive is for states to create red flag laws and they need to meet due process requirements. 
And in the state of Florida, they do. So if due process is not violated, then that takes away that argument against a red flag law, correct? Because due process requires three things. It requires that a person must be given notice. There must be the opportunity to be heard, which would be the hearing. And then there must be a decision by a neutral decision maker, which is the judge. And the right to privacy. So a correctly written red flag law, and you know, I'm including this in all of my arguments in support of a red flag law, a correctly written red flag law requires probable cause in order for their in order in order for in order to be issued. And that was a tongue twister. But again, it goes back to the argument against, which was the like search and seizure, the right to privacy. Well, that said, you need a warrant. And the warrant has to include all the specifics and the details of what exactly you are there to search and seize. So in Florida, that that meets checks that box too, right? And then your right to keep and bear arms to the Second Amendment. There are laws today that limit your ability to have a gun. Right? Recently, there was this Supreme Court decision that says the state of New York has um, basically lack of a better term, but ridiculous expectations, ridiculous requirements in order for someone to have a conceal carry. But if you are guilty of certain crimes in this country, then you cannot go out and possess a firearm after you are, have finished your, your sentence, finished your jail time. After being incarcerated, it has come to an end. There are laws on the books there. I don't see people being up in arms about that when it comes to the Second Amendment. And I believe also that with rights comes responsibilities. Just because you are given a right by our Constitution doesn't mean you can, to me, I don't believe you can just be frivolous with it. You can just, you know, not take any responsibility, not be held accountable. So, you know, we all have the right to keep and bear arms and that right shall not be infringed. But if you are acting in certain ways, saying certain things, you know, I read that list. It was about 13, 14, 15 items in the Florida statute. If you were doing things that would cause someone to believe that you are a threat, an actual threat, and these people who bring the petition to a law enforcement agency, at least in the state of Florida, they are under oath. They have to sign an affidavit that what they're saying is true. And if they don't, then in the state of Florida, that is considered a third degree felony. If you make these false statements, but with rights come responsibilities. Even the First Amendment has limits on what you what you can say. You can speak out free speech against the government, and the government can't come down upon you. But if you're working at a private company, you don't have the same free speech. So there needs to be responsibility. Just because you have a right doesn't mean you you are not should not be held to a certain standard, in my opinion. And then what actions, again, are you taking, are you exhibiting, what kind of behavior are you exhibiting that would lead someone to say, hey, I'm going to take the time to go down and tell on you to a law enforcement agency to get a risk protection order or a gun violence protection order issued against you, get that process started. And your unalienable rights, unalienable rights, life, liberty, in the pursuit of happiness. My question is, when 
or why should your right to life and your right to life to be protected by a firearm, why should that outweigh my right to life or someone else's right to life without requiring the protection of a firearm? Especially if your behavior is suspect in leading people to believe that, hey, I might be at risk. And again, the risk protection orders, these red flag laws don't just apply to potential to do harm to other people. They also do apply to their potential to do harm to yourself. But why should someone else's right to, to keep and bear arms and their right to life protect their, protect their right to life through using a firearm? Why should that trump my right to life without a firearm? Like, if you're saying that you have like a stronger right to life with the protection of a firearm, then you're saying that everyone should then go out and buy a firearm in order to combat someone who could potentially commit an act of violence against them. And then therefore you're telling me that I need to go buy a firearm, even if I don't want to buy a firearm as a free and independent individual within this country. So I should not, someone else should not have to go out and buy a fire, firearm or just be so they can feel safe from you or someone else who presents a particular danger to them with a firearm. Again, why would your right to life with the firearm, especially with questionable behavior, outweigh my right to life without the protection of a firearm? So these red flag laws, they have been a hot button issue for weeks ever since the Uvalde mass shooting, that, that heinous act of violence and, and the Buffalo shooting at the, at the market, at the supermarket, going all the way back to Parkland and all the way to Columbine, which started all of this when I was in middle school in the late 90s. And Republicans, again, Enough of them supported to pass the bill through the Senate and through the House, and then be signed into law by Biden. But the Republican pundits are chastising those individuals, those members of the Republican Party, saying now that they need to be primaried and that they do not reflect the 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 values of their voters, of you know who they represent in their states and their in their districts. Well, to me, that's just kind of like a you know, maybe that's saying a little bit too much because I know all these pundits did not go out and, and poll these, these different districts for the, like about 15 representatives and didn't poll the citizens of these different states that, that the 10 senators, you know, represent. So just to say that, Hey, you know, you don't represent your constituents, I believe is, is untrue and, you know, irresponsible to make that claim. But there's been a lot of pushback against the Republicans who believe that there can be good that comes from these red flag laws. So to me, if your primary issue with red flag laws is that you don't trust the state to act with integrity with these laws, then to me, that says more about you than the red flag law itself. And if you don't trust one law because you think it will be abused, then how can you trust any law? Again, that goes back 
to you rather than, than the laws itself. The purpose of red flag laws are to limit opportunities for acts of violence by guns, homicides, murders to be committed. Again, almost 80% of all murders are as a result of a firearm. And then knives is second. And if the law, the red flag law, if it meets the constitutionality requirements, then why not do what we can to protect the unalienable right to life of the individual themselves, the respondent who could be putting their own life in danger? Again, suicide accounts for more than 50% of all gun deaths and also protect the unalienable right to life of you or someone else that you know, or a family member. So I am in support of red flag laws when they are crafted, when they are written and meet the constitutionality of the state constitutions and our federal constitution. And yes, I am a registered voter of the Republican Party, and I am in support of red flag laws. I don't see the harm in them. I can see in certain states or instances where you might have some instances of of abuse, but again, that can be done with with any law. And I know there are there is language within the constitution and and by the founding fathers that you know says that one of the reasons why we have the second amendment is to protect ourselves from a tyrannical government. You know, what as one of the ways that we can protect ourselves and to give too much power to the government, then especially like seizing our firearms, then, you know, we do not stand a fighting chance against the government. It is for our own individual protection, right? And, and even more so for the protection of, of our country as a whole. But I am not letting that sway me to believe or to think that there is no benefit to these red flag laws. Yes, there needs to be a larger, a larger mission, a larger, more actions taken, such as with mental health and, you know, more fathers in the home and community and so on and so forth that needs to also be taking place simultaneously. But to me, enacting red flag laws across all 50 states and again, keeping it at the state level, not a federal red flag law, but individual states and their red flag laws, their risk protection orders, their gun violence protection orders, I believe a lot of good can come from that. And I think we should be doing what we can as long as we meet the constitutional requirements to save as many lives as possible. Thank you for listening to Counterthought, a podcast conserving America's freedom, culture, and values. Remember to subscribe and like or rate the podcast on your podcast app or on YouTube and engage with the podcast on Instagram at counter underscore thought at counter CEO or on Facebook at counter thought podcast.